Hello listener, Gould here. This is just your friendly reminder to check this week's show notes for spoiler and content warnings. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Unbreakable Movie Chain, the podcast where each week we discuss and review a film based on a link to the previous movie. I'm Madeline Gould and I'm joined as ever by Ed Howells. Ed, how are you? I'm okay, a little uh, little full of hay fever, but uh, other than that, uh, grand. I I apologise if my hay fever affects the recording in any way. I'm sorry if my just general fury at how fucking hot it is (laughs) Extra recording in any way. I'm just, I'm livid, Ed. I'm just livid at all times. No, it's indecent. We shouldn't be expected to be able to function. We're not built for it. No. You're not built for it. How the devil are you? And what have you been watching since we last spoke? It's been a couple of weeks, actually, since we chatted. So, um... Um, Yeah, so I'm doing pretty good. What have I watched? So, last time I spoke to you, I was just heading to the cinema for a a double bill of Bo is Afraid and Zisu. I know you've seen Bo is Afraid. Have you seen Zisu? No, not yet. I'm um, moving house next week and I just am really worried that I'm going to miss it in the cinema. Because mm. I, I really fancy it. It looks great. Would you recommend? Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It did strike me towards the end that it's sort of a propaganda piece, a sort of uh, pro-Ukraine in the face of Russian invasion propaganda piece. And frankly, mm. I'm all for it. I, I don't know if it was written with that intention, if it w- was originally sort of when they started shooting. I don't know mm. at what point in the process the actual invasion happened. But I feel like at some point during shooting, they were like, oh, we need to make sure that this is about this because it's really important. Um, And at that point, it kind of gets a little bit heavy-handed. But to be honest, it's so much fun that I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think if it's heavy-handed and fun, like I can forgive it, do you know what I mean? It looks great. It just looks really good fun. When you texted me about it, you mentioned Tarantino. And it's interesting because when I saw the trailer in the cinema, me and Richard, it was when we went to see John Wick 4 and we were sitting next to each other and the trailer for it came up. And there was something about the like the typeface mm-hmm. of, of the when they were listing the cast list and stuff on it. And I leant over to him and I went, what do you reckon, new Tarantino? <laughs> and then and then it was like, and I was like, ooh, it's this little like Scandi, seemingly sort of like revenge thing. But it just, there was something about it that made me think about Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it sort of pays homage and owes uh, some sort of some visual debts to the same filmmakers that Tarantino is constantly yeah. referencing. Um, so whether the director is directly influenced by Tarantino or whether mm. he's directly influenced by filmmakers like Sergio Leone, for example, mm. uh, who's to say? Probably a mixture of them both. Um, but it's an incredible looking movie. For huge stretches of it, there is no dialogue. Mm. Like there, there, there are long stretches where the storytelling is just visual and in a sort of like purely cinematic way, and that's really exciting. And it's fucking brutal. <laughs> it's savage um, in all the best ways. Fantastic! Oh, yeah, I must so really try and see it. it. I know you've been desperate to discuss Bo is Afraid. I know. 
I am desperate to discuss it. I mean, obviously we won't we won't do spoilers, but what did you think generally? Um, uh, yes, I overall overall I enjoyed it. I really liked the first. Let's 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 call it the first movement. I really loved all the stuff mm-hmm. when he was still in the apartment. Yes, agreed. Um, and like was just terrified to leave the apartment yeah. because this 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 it appears to sort of take place in a world where the worst thing you're expecting to happen at every turn yeah will happen. It's it's all of your anxieties made real. Yeah, the and worst case scenario is yeah. the default. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that struck a chord with me. Um, yes. I felt in that first movement, I felt very seen, Ed. <laughs> in, 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 in the parlance of the youth of today. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, no, I, I absolutely felt the same way. Um, and then the whole section with um, Nathan Lane and mm. all that sort of set up, that was really great too. It was great, but I did think that went on a bit long. Like, it was really well, great, yeah. but I felt like I knew that at some point he was going to move on and I was a bit like, okay, I could probably get there now, you know? Everything went on a bit long. Yeah, the mad section in the forest, I sort of zoned in and out. I got to a point with it where I was like, just look at the pretty pictures. <laughs> just look at the pretty yeah. pictures and yeah, don't try and don't try and work it out because he's just, mm, it's going off on mm. one. Um, and then it, it sort of brought it back at the end, but it wasn't entirely satisfactory. I think it's two thirds of a really good film. There's a two-hour cut of this film, which is an, a work of absolute genius. Yeah, probably. But I can't quite forgive it for not knowing that. I can't forgive <laughs> Ariaster for not knowing how to lift out the good cut. And in that final act, well, it's the kind of final act and then there's a sort of a weird end bit tacked on. But mm-hmm. the section back at his mum's house, there were moments in that where I was like, this is one of the best bits of filmmaking this is just brilliant and then there were bits where i was like this is the worst decision you could possibly have made (laughs) at this moment (laughs) like (laughs) like i I just kind of want to sit him down and be like ari mate like what Mm. what do you who is this for i think it's for him yeah it's it felt very selfish and i i've enjoyed ariaster's films in yeah i've I've enjoyed all 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 of it's uh, three isn't it yeah so the hereditary Mm. midsummer and uh, now Bo is afraid and i've enjoyed all three but i've always had a feeling with him that one day he would just sort of vanish inside his own ass um to be honest (laughs) i've always had this Mm-hmm. This feeling that he has an instinct to overindulge on the smell of his own farts. <laughs> is that is that <laughs> is that what's going on in Bo's Afraid? Are the bad choices just like fart delusion? <laughs> yes. Like... Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. The the section the whole section in the woods, I think he's completely high on the smell of his own farts. Mm-hmm. And then that final section, he's kind of hung over and groggy and goes, and this is how we finish. Or it's like um, while he was high on his farts, he signed in his own blood the document that was like, this is what will happen in the final act. And it's like, oh, yeah. shit, I've got <laughs> to stick with some of those choices I made while I was high on my farts. Ugh, mate. I am definitely keen to chat with you more about it. What about you? What, 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 have you, what have you been watching? Um, uh, fuck all. 
I've been on I've been on holiday and we're about to move house, like I say, so I've just had no time. So apart from Frasier, um, the only Perfect. things that I've watched we talked about last time. Cool. Apart from, of course, the film that we're gonna talk about today. Yes. Which is Primary Colours. So we picked a primary, I say we, I picked primary <laughs> colours based on some extremely uh, route one word association from the 1990 Dick Tracy that we discussed last week, um, which has a very primary colours heavy colour palette. So that's why we've come on to primary colours. So primary colours is a 1998 film directed by Mike Nichols, who I'm certain people will have seen one of his films really varied career mm. like when you look down at what he's made it's a real weird mixed bag but yeah this is from 1998 and it is adapted from a novel called primary colors a novel of politics which um was published in january 1996 anonymously based on the clinton presidential campaign of 1992 now it's called this is fun it's called uh, the that format is called a roman acclé i don't know if i've said that right but i did listen to a frenchman I- on youtube say it <laughs> <laughs> I came across that term as well and was like, I'm so excited. I've learned a new term for a thing. I know, a new term. So that uh, a Roman Eclat is a fictionalised telling of real life events. So this book, it's about the Clinton campaign, but it's fiction, it, like fictional characters. Yeah. Um, and they, they are the characters that we see in Primary Colours, um, the film, which uh, stars, I'll just run down uh, some of the characters here. We've got John Travolta playing the presidential candidate. Uh, we've got Emma Thompson as his wife. Billy Bob Thornton and Adrian Lester are his kind of campaign managers. And then Maura Tierney, who she's one of those, oh, it's her ladies so she i mean i recognize her most from er and as one of the kind of um assistants to richard gear in one of my favorite films of all time ever primal fear ah so she's on his team um and then in a very lauded porting role we've got kathy bates um so just to quickly whiz through the other important people in the creative team you've got cinematography by michael balhaus if you don't know his name you know his work because my my God, he's worked on some stuff. Goodfellas, Age of Innocence, Gangs of New York. I mean, he's pretty much one of Scorsese's go-to people, it seems. Departed. And one of my favourite films of all time ever, Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> from 1992. Oh, Keanu. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was the cinematographer on that as well. So it's a polar, that one, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. What a thing. I've actually, I've got Dracula and Mina from that film tattooed on my back. That's how much I love it. Oh, really? (laughs) Indeed, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Then we've got editor was Arthur Schmidt. Production design, someone we've come across before, Mm Bo Welch, who we met um, when we covered Beetlejuice. Costume design by Gary Jones and Anne Roth and uh, music by Rai Kuda. Yes, I got very excited when I saw that the music was by Rai Kuda. Um, Oh, go on, tell me more. Well, because I sort of went, oh, we'll get some really cool blues, and it doesn't really materialise. No, uh, there's some there's some nice sort of uh, slide guitar at the very end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really materialise, no. which made me a little bit sad. Yeah, I'm I'm quite I'm quite interested actually in the production design area because the it seems to me that there are sort of two teams 
sort of two long established mm-hmm. teams that have worked together an awful lot. Um, so yeah, you mentioned uh, Bo Welch, the production designer, who sort of seems to come with a bit of a, as a bit of a package with the art director Tom Duffield and the set decorator Sherry Karasik. The three of them first worked together as a team on Joel Schumacher's Lost Boys. Um, they worked together on Beetlejuice, as you mentioned, it's Accidental Tourist, Ghostbusters 2, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Men in Black, uh, Wild Wild West, Alfonso Cuarón's A Little Princess. If you've seen that, no, uh, I haven't seen it. No. Oh, it's terrific. And they, uh, as, as a team, had worked together for Mike Nichols on The Birdcage prior to doing this. Ah. And Bo Welch and Tom Duffield had uh, also done Wolf for, for Mike oh, Nichols. Which I, I just want to see so badly. <laughs> um, I saw it a long time ago and seemed to remember being a little underwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it maybe won't live up to its extremely naff promise. <laughs> you sort of go, oh, Jack Nicholson as a werewolf. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. The the other little team um, that I picked up on is actually the the costume design team of Gary Jones and Anne Roth. Uh, yeah, so Anne, Anne Roth started in the sixties, and some of her career highlights uh, sort of include Midnight Cowboy, Clute, Marathon Man, Hair, Nine to Five. Mm. Um, but then she worked with Gary Jones as a team on um, Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill, uh, also The English Patient and the talented Mr. Ripley. Mm. And the two of them worked together for Mike Nichols on uh, Biloxi Blues, Working Girl, Postcards from the Edge and Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> so sort of an interesting little uh, collaborative partnerships there. Tell us a bit about Mike Nichols. Uh, he trained as an actor um, under Lee Strasberg. Um, one of many. Um, and then after sort of trying out the New York theatre scene for a while and not really getting anywhere, he went back to Chicago uh, and got involved with the improv scene there um, with first the Compass Players and then um, its successor, Second City. He then formed a sort of improvisational double act with Elaine May. And then once that had sort of dissolved around about 61, I think, uh, he started directing theatre. He won two Tony Awards uh, before he made any movies. Uh, his first movie was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, um, which he was asked to direct by uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Notably, that's an adaptation of a play. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so he then he won an Oscar for his next film, The Graduate, but he, he died in 2014, an EGOT. Are you familiar with the term EGOT? No. So an EGOT is somebody who's won uh, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony. Oh, yes, yes, um, yes. He... Uh, at his death, had won four Emmys, one Grammy, one Oscar, and nine Tony Awards. So oh my he God. <laughs> was something of a colossus in the entertainment yeah. world. Uh, what an incredible career, really. It, uh, but uh, And so varied. Yeah, so varied. I, I was, I was going to say sort of that suggests that he gets bored easily, but I think he, I don't know, I think, I think he just wanted to do as much stuff mm. I think things just interested him it's interesting yeah. isn't it because actually uh, you know it, uh, if it was an actor you'd be like oh you know you don't want to get pigeonholed you don't want to do the same kind of roles over and over again yeah. but to look at a director who has got such a varied portfolio of work I don't yeah. know it makes me feel a little bit like um, a bit a bit um, like can't quite choose what he wants to do can't quite I, I'm being <laughs> a bit judgmental of him actually that's interesting I, I, I have to say there's quite a lot of stuff on his CV that I just think oh god oh god that's him hmm. like, oh that's him Mostly the birdcage. I had no idea that the same person who made the graduate made the birdcage. I've never seen the birdcage. Should I? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. It's so great. 
just everyone is having the best time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, just to go back on something you were talking about there, when he set up his uh, improv duo with Elaine May, Elaine mm. May, of course, is the screenwriter of Primary Colours. Of course. So she wrote, well, she adapted the novel and was nominated for an Academy Award for her efforts. Uh, so it only got two Academy Award nominations, uh, mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actress for Kathy Bates and Best Screenplay for Elaine May well it'll be adapted screenplay for Elaine May it's interesting because it was it seems to be that it was very well received by critics but it was really not received well by audiences and in fact it um, it was made for 65 million dollars and total worldwide gross it only made 52 so it didn't make its money back um i'm interested in why you think it might be that it didn't find an audience i i have i have ideas of my own well i can tell you one thing i wouldn't have gone to see it at the time it wouldn't have appealed to me one of the reasons why i wanted to watch it actually is because it doesn't really appeal to me <laughs> <laughs> um and i'll tell you one of the reasons why i just find john travolta really creepy Yes, He's I have really thoughts. Creepy. I have thoughts. We we, we must come ooh. back onto that m- ooh, ooh, ooh. shortly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and I think it probably is just a bit. It, it kind of for me, it doesn't really know what genre it is. If it was like a kind of slit West Wing esque mm. kind of American political film, or a kind of thriller i can see that them being slightly more appealing but i think with this because it sort of tries to be a comedy and i just think that's a bit weird Mm. i think it's what do you think it's not it's not an out and out comedy but it it is a satire um and the the two things i think often get confused uh, for one another satire doesn't necessarily have to be funny but at least not sort of laugh out loud funny satire needs to skewer it needs to lampoon but it's not necessarily always going for haha jokes you know what i mean so i I watched it twice as i as i try and do with all of these things and it worked much better for me the second time than the first okay Um, the story sort of clicked better for me the second time um which kind of makes sense because i knew where it was going i think for me, the reason that it didn't find its audience, the audience for a sort of political satire of this nature is largely going to be um, left-leaning. They're largely going to have been Clinton supporters. And I think at that moment in time, they would have been less less than excited to go and see their hero portrayed in, let's be honest, it's not a, it's not a flattering portrayal. And I'm going to talk in terms of it being a portrayal of Clinton because it is without... I mean, I've got sort of issues with this this kind of thing where something is being portrayed as being like as as being life but with just this sort of very thin facade over the top of it because it it is it is a work of fiction and we've got we've got a bunch of people like a lot a lot of sort of media personalities that show up playing themselves we've got Larry King shows up Geraldo Rivera Charlie Rose Bill Maher all play, all show up playing themselves that sort of add another element of this is a, a real thing this is true fact and mm, it's not a documentary some of this mm-hmm. stuff is made up it takes inspiration from real events and most of the principal characters are based on real people mm. or kind of amalgamations of real people or um, yeah, exactly amalgamations of real people in some cases um, but they are not those people and those people did not do these things and they did not say these things mm-hmm. and it, it mm, yeah it's difficult i'm talking about uh, the character of jack stanton as as if he's bill clinton but i probably shouldn't because he's not mm-hmm. so i'm not going to do that again actually yeah but mm. he's marketed as he is 
Because if he isn't supposed to be Bill Clinton, why have they done a terrible botched dye job on his eyebrows? <laughs> why, why is he doing a Clinton impression? Yeah. It, why is he doing it? This the, one <laughs> I watched it with Richard and Richard was like, his hair... Why did they do this to his hair? <laughs> or like they were okay, they've made his hair grey, but why did they have to make his eyebrows grey? He looks so weird. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I think they've made he's like yeah. they've made the parallels more blatant than they need to be. Yeah, they have. Um so the natural audience for a political satire of this nature wouldn't have wanted to go and see their hero portrayed in such a way um and and he was he was a hero to to people mm-hmm. at the time um although it should be said that it was around about the same time that the Monica Lewinsky scandal was blowing up so actually this movie couldn't have been more timely in some ways it's kind of timeless actually in the story that it's telling and so I don't think it needs all of the dressing of the no. Clinton campaign I think I'm just not I'm not really keen on the this Roman as a thing anyway it's like either make it a work of fiction about somebody and just say who you mean mm-hmm. and say it's a work of fiction or it's a biopic yeah. you know what I mean or have whole other characters and just you know a, a democratic candidate who kind of comes out of nowhere and becomes president like people are going to know who that's based on do you know what I mean yeah yeah I mean we mentioned the West Wing briefly you know and several of the characters in that take inspiration from real life people but at no point are you ever led to believe that those real life people said and did any of those things of course not right let's talk about I've got to do a synopsis haven't I oh bloody hell yes oh god I nearly robbed you of the opportunity to do your um, time plot synopsis I can't should have wait just let you do that I should have just let you do it <laughs> I'm so sorry um, in keeping with the way we do things around here um, the running time of primary colours is 143 minutes so mm-hmm. Ed you've got 143 seconds oh, to uh, tell us what the hell this film's about if you can bear it so, uh, are you ready? Uh, well, I better be. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Okay, so young and uh, somewhat cynical uh, political operative uh, Henry Burton, played by Adrian Lester, uh, joins the campaign of Governor uh, Jack Stanton. He's running for president, or well, he's trying to run for president. He's uh, It's the Democratic primaries. He is a, um, a cipher for Bill Clinton, as we've mentioned. He sort of, uh, Henry gets sort of almost strong-armed into working for Jack. It's a bumpy campaign, but I think all all political campaigns are bumpy from time to time. Um, But there is one particular moment where it hits the skids um, because of the uh, governor's inability to keep his penis in his pants. At which point, (laughs) at which point they bring in the uh, veteran, the veteran political operative, Libby Holden, played by Kathy Bates, um, who sweeps in uh, fixing things uh, she is something of an idealist and she sort of gradually coaxes henry out of his cynicism and they sort of end up a lot sort of closer as a team towards the end of the movie after scandal upon scandal upon scandal has been dealt with um, i'm not going to go into all of the twists and turns because we'd be here all day um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Libby presents uh, Jack and his wife, Susan, played by Emma Thompson in one of her fabulous wronged woman roles, Mm -hmm. um, wronged wife roles. Uh, She presents them with an ultimatum after they fail uh, a political test. 
that she has set them. And after after that, she uh, goes and kills herself. Then that's kind of the end of the movie, really. Having dragged Henry, who is who is the protagonist of the movie, but he sort of comes and goes. Uh, she's dragged him to a to a place of less cynicism. Um, where he doesn't feel like he can work with the Stantons anymore, um, but he will still support them. That's my read on that last shot anyway. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, But that's how I take the end of the movie. Interesting. Um, And that is my botched synopsis off the top of my head. You did really well. It's so interesting. This is one of the things. So, uh, sorry, just to uh, quickly let you know, that was two minutes and 48 seconds. So you did actually go over. I thought I probably did. You can be forgiven because there's a lot going on. I think it's really interesting to hear your synopsis because to me, this film as a whole was unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. And within it, there were probably about four or five little strands, like little threads that if you had followed it and made a film about that bit, it would have been really good film. Mm-hmm. I think my overall problem with the film was that it was a film about a process rather mm-hmm. than a film about any character, any people. It, mm. the, it wasn't about the people, it was about the process. And actually, you know, um, a film about a um, cynical political aide who has like a kind of buddy road trip <laughs> adventure with a idealistic political aide. Mm-hmm. They then have an impact on each other and then ultimately their kind of idealism is tested. That's a really interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a film about a woman whose husband is running for president and does she believe all the, like all these people come out the woodwork to smear him and does she believe them or not? Did he do it, didn't he? That's a really interesting film. It's like there's all of these little threads hanging down and the film kind of shows you the threads but doesn't actually pull on any of them. And ultimately, mm. I was quite bored and unsatisfied. That's interesting. Um, I, I agree with you. I think, I think, it's, I think it's messy. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's a messy movie. I sort of on my second watch I forgave it for its messiness because I think its messiness is a reflection of the process. Um mm-hmm. and as you say it is it is a film about the process. I do think when you t- when you take Adrian Lester's character, uh, when you take Henry as the protagonist of the movie, it is his story. He is the one we see everything uh, through through his eyes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he is the one who undergoes a change over the course of the story, mm-hmm. um, or the, the the most significant change. Um, yeah. So at the start of the movie, he's uh, he's with this this woman who is a uh, she's a journalist who works particularly uh, for for a, for a black publication, and so black issues are front and center. Henry is the grandson of a civil rights leader, so he's sort of all tied up in that whole movement. And I think at the start of the movie, he's been disillusioned. He's having an argument with his partner at the start. And he very cynically just says, yeah, that's why there are so many black people leading the country. So I've, I've got similar issues with John Travolta that you have. I find John Travolta really difficult to trust. Yes. As an actor, I find him sort of untrustworthy. And that made it the first time I watched it. I was like, why? I don't understand why, why anybody is swept up by this mm-hmm. character. I don't understand why anybody's drawn to him. I don't understand why. I didn't understand what it was that Henry was drawn to. Um, mm-hmm. And I've come to the decision that actually what he's drawn to is the prospect that Stanton can win. And in winning, he can do some good for mm-hmm. the people and the issues that Henry cares about. So he makes that 
political triangulation, that calculation to not sell his soul and not, not work with the devil either, but to compromise things ethically to get things done. And that's the question at the heart of the movie is how much are you willing to compromise? How much of yourself are you willing mm-hmm. to sell if the ends justify the means? To what extent do the ends justify the means? And how for how long can you support a fundamentally flawed candidate for political office in the hope that ultimately they're going to do they're going to do some good um and in those terms the movie is successful for me uh, i did enjoy it but then i i quite enjoy a, a, a knockabout political drama it's sort of, sort of in my wheelhouse to begin with yeah it's very because I, I i definitely i really enjoy a political kind of thriller a political drama um especially if there are elements of like journalism that kind of thing involved um the whole way through this film, I was thinking of the Ides of March. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. Uh, just not an entirely successful film either, as I remember. No, it isn't an entirely successful film, but it is a lot more interesting. With this film, I don't know whether it's deliberate because it's trying to avoid falling into the trap of having a kind of political candidate who everybody gets behind, who is shown to be flawed in a really devastating way, and then there is a choice of do we stick by him because fundamentally he is going to do the right thing overall mm-hmm. or do we abandon him? He's like the least worst option, <laughs> but he's done this bad thing. So it's like, yeah, the, the scales. And I think that the Ides of March was slightly more successful in that kind of, if we are Adrian Lester, we should be feeling the feelings he is feeling when he's feeling them. So the sense of betrayal, the disappointment, the all of that. And I have to, I didn't feel anything. And I saw quite a lot of stuff coming. I found it very predictable. Overly long. <laughs> it, it, it is long. It could lose at least one of its twists. Um, yeah. Do you, did you feel, as somebody who kind of, like you say, th- this kind of film is in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. uh, did it bring to mind any other films that you've seen that do this, a similar thing more successfully? Not films, but it does put me in mind of, so I'm a, a big West Wing fan, and it does put me in mind of the last two seasons of the West Wing. Mm. Um, well, partic- particularly the sixth season, actually, uh, because that's the one that, that focuses on a, a presidential primary campaign mm-hmm. and its sort of messiness and its ups and downs. And yeah, actually, now now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if this would have worked better as a miniseries rather than mm. a two and a half hour movie. Um, I'll tell you what, um, I, um, the whole way through, was thinking this is a three hour play. And actually, it made me think of... Um, uh, the playwright James Graham and oh, yeah. his his play um, This House, which is about the um, British political system in the seventies, and it's it's a wonderful play. It's absolutely fantastic. But it to me, I could kind of see this script mm. on the Olivier stage at the National <laughs> Theatre, kind of with with a cast of thousands all in their sort of suits, and I could just yeah. sort of I could picture it. And actually, I think that maybe the theatre would be a more successful medium for this film. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I now that you say it, I'd really like to see that. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be quite good. Right, okay, me and you, we'll sort it. Right. We'll just do it. It's fine. Should we talk a bit about some of the performances and the casting decisions they've made here? Yes. So, I mean, uh, you know, we've said that he's probably the... If there is a main part, he is it. What do we think of Adrian Lester? Well, as I, as I said, he's always there. But there's a long period of time where he kind of disappears and we're not really following him. Like, he doesn't physically mm. disappear, but sort of he... He gets sort of overshadowed by events. So the the heart of the film, I think, is that is that journey that he mm-hmm. goes on that I've mapped out. I think that's the interesting thing that mm. Mike Nichols is trying 
to tell. I just think that that particular story could have been teased out a little bit better along the way. I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how off the top of my head here, but yeah. it's like that that character is your fixed point, and everything mm-hmm. else that happens is moving around him yes. and can come in and out of focus. But that character has to stay in focus for the whole thing, yeah. and it, he didn't. He was sort of always in the background for me. To be honest with you, I felt like all of the things that I knew and understood from the film, I understood them from the conventions of cinema and storytelling, not from. <laughs> what was actually happening on screen sure like ah this must be our hero (laughs) (laughs) this must be the journey he's going to go on i I think that just overall and this isn't really anything to do with any of the performances because actually across the board i think everyone's pretty good apart Mm -hmm. from john travolta who has moments where he's all right and other times (laughs) where i'm like what film are you in (laughs) like i just (laughs) i actually do you know sorry i'm just gonna skip and hop straight over to this opinion i think john travolta was a terrible choice interesting i think everyone else was really good Mm -hmm. but John Travolta I think was a really bad choice for this is it because you find him creepy yes because I yeah at the start of today I would have agreed with you from so from the start of the film it doesn't want us to trust him I feel like I should I feel like I should want him to be president yes um for at least a while I feel like it should take us on a journey of yes I want this guy to be president oh I'm not comfortable with that. Oh, but I want him Mm. to be president. Oh, but I'm not comfortable Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, but I still want him to be president. Oh, no, he's a bit of a shit, really. That's the journey I want to go on. It's asking us the question, you know, what does a guy have to do to... Stop you wanting to vote for him, mm. <laughs> you know. And, and I, I mean, the bit, the bit that I thought of, um, it's like when you first meet him, um, and then it's when they're on the plane, and they come back to. It's the first time we meet Susan, um, mm-hmm. Emma Thompson, and we're supposed to believe that this man is so charming, so effortlessly charming, that his wife will go from being like spitting feathers furious at him mm-hmm. to seduced and laughing and giggling and girlishly in love with this incredible magnetism he's got that yeah. he can win her round and when he got off the plane and she started shouting at him i was like first of all you've demonstrated to me that you you're actually a bit thick <laughs> like i don't think you're very <laughs> clever i don't see and i was like ah this is going to be a film about a kind of useless man whose incredible wife manages mm. to make him president of the united states but secretly she's the one with the power and then mm. i was like oh no that isn't what this film's about he's no. meant to be amazing that i don't buy and sort then uh, yeah mm. and then like oh he He's um, when he was crying in the school about the guy who told the story about yeah. him being illiterate, and he was like crying, and I was like, "Well, that's insincere, <laughs> like <laughs> that's you know bullshit." And I was like, "Oh, but hang on, our main character, um, Adrian Lester, is supposed to be so taken in by his emotional reaction to this story mm-hmm. that he joins his campaign." But I I can see that that's bullshit, though. I don't know. I just yeah, I felt exactly the same way. The, the the first time the first time I watched it right, exactly the right. same way I was like this this guy's so insincere um which it sort of it sort of tells you from the very start that first shot with that with the handshakes and the little voiceover decoding what all the handshakes mean everything is so calculated yeah this this is what this means and then yeah when he's crying in the school I was like mm, yeah it's so insincere and I like you was like oh I I think I should feel like Adrian Lester's supposed to be 
swept up mm-hmm. by this guy. But I don't think that's what we're supposed to think about it. Right. On 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 second viewing, I think we're supposed to think ah, uh, Stanton knows how to how to speak to people and and touch mm-hmm. people and and tell people what they want to hear. And he does he does genuinely connect with people. There's that um, scene in the diner with the guy mm. who um, just wants to give people apple fritters um, yeah. but stanton absolutely wants to he, he just wants to be there and talk to him and know about this man's life mm. and i think i think that part of the character is sincere i think that the part of the character that loves people and being around people and talking to people i think that part of the character is sincere whether the tears are for show or not I think we're supposed to be questioning. He absolutely... So the thing when he throws the phone out the window and they go searching for it, um, I'm like, ah, yes, here is a man who is sort of impulsive and useless. Yeah, so I've I've written down here, um, Susan finds the phone that Jack threw out of the window. It feels like their whole relationship is he fucks it up, she fixes it. That's sort of what their relationship is. And I think that that is kind of what the Clintons' relationship mm-hmm. is and was. I, I like you. I was like, mm, I don't think John Travolta's right for this because I don't trust him fundamentally. And the film keeps yeah. telling me, don't trust him. Um, yeah. Like that thing when uh, he's been in the room with Alice and Janney, um, who I was so excited to see. Alice I know, and, Janney, and then pop, pop. she was gone. And then she was gone. But she managed to fit in three pratfalls. I know. She's any, amazing. <laughs> she's wonderful. Any any fan of the West Wing knows how much she loves a pratfall. She oh, really? Any oh, opportunity. Okay. And she squeezes three into primary colours in amazing. five minutes that she's on screen. It's great. Um, and that, yeah. that one on the stairs is just spectacular. Oh, God. Where like, you, she goes all the way around oh. and you see her knickers. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Huh? Chef's kiss. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when uh, when she's been in the room with him um, and they come out sort of all dishevelled and putting themselves back together and clearly whether they've had sex or whether just something in that something, direction has yeah. happened. It's, un- yeah, you, you go, oh, no, we don't like this. I don't know why nobody kind of registers, oh, there's been something untoward happening in there because there clearly has. Well, I mean, that to me was like, oh, okay, so it's just a given among his staff that he sh- is a shagger and is gonna shag ladies and he doesn't give a fuck about anyone who works for him knowing that about him okay that tells me he's a wrong one. that tells me he's not a good egg that was a very that for me was a very telling scene i think you're exactly right the film pops up these little flags for us to kind of go like hmm i think if it was any other person playing that role of jack stanton i would believe that his charisma cloaked his seeming like ineptitude or um like villainy like richard gear do you know what i mean michael michael douglas michael douglas although michael douglas is also a bit of a wrong end or he plays he is. well he'd, he'd just played the president in uh, aaron sorkin's the american president ah um, yes just just before primary colors i think john travolta is so creepy and untrustworthy he's got this weird kind of like childish voice and like he's just a creep he's a creepy for, creep for me, for me it's his eyes for me it's his eyes he's got these sort of shark-like eyes that you you feel like like he's looking at you naked or something and i don't think he has ever not been creepy i I don't think i've seen a single john travolta film where i've been like oh john travolta what a normal Mm. nice man yeah no I, i find him creepy in greece yeah but i think a lot of people who were the right age when that came out i think he's probably a bit of a heartthrob still 
Yeah, probably. At, at this point, anyway. And also, like, you know, you think about Saturday Night Fever. I think a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, the, the dancing one, right? And it's like, no, that sure. film is fucking brutal. I hate <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. It's so, it's so hard to watch, you know? I've never seen it. Haven't you? Oh, well, I mean, would I recommend it? Mm. Maybe if you've got a bit of spare time and you're like, oh, maybe I should plug a gap in my film knowledge. It's worth having a look. Yeah. But it's... It feels like one of those that I'd be watching for that reason. Yeah. I don't think there's yeah. anything to enjoy in it. The dancing isn't right. even that good. I've seen some clips of the dancing and I'm like, oh, I don't like this at all. And it goes on a while. Way too long. Um, speaking of dancing, actually, there there is a marvellous scene in Primary Colours um, where John Travolta does some terrible dad dancing and that was a real moment for me I was just like it's so weird to see John Travolta trying to do terrible dancing because he's so renowned for being able to dance God you know that hadn't <laughs> like the... even occurred to me <laughs> <laughs> it was all I could think in that scene I was like Haha, look at John Travolta doing bad dancing it's amazing have you seen I don't know if you'll have seen the whole film I certainly haven't seen the whole film but I have seen the clip there's a film he did with Jamie Lee Curtis and there's a clip that pops up quite a lot of them they're do she's leading an aerobics class that he's in and it's yeah. like it's very thrusty and they're very like into each other while they're thrusting and it's like okay Ooh. jamie lee curtis notoriously unbelievably sexy lady john travolta such a creep such a creep <laughs> this is so weird like i appreciate that maybe she's supposed to be attracted to him but he's just so weird it's interesting that you say that about jamie lee curtis because yeah I, I think i think she's attractive i think she's sexy but i don't think that's ever been her sort of conventional image as sort of sexy lady it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually in True Lies, which we talked about a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, that incredible scene where she goes from like f the front master general <laughs> and she chucks yeah. some water out of a vase on her hair and suddenly she's this like knockout. But I think the thing about Jamie Lee Curtis is she's such a wonderful physical comedian and she's got that mm -hmm. kind of goofballness about her, which really is really appealing. Yeah. John Travolta doesn't have anything goofy about him. I think he tries, but he's so creepy. Have I mentioned yeah, that I he, think he's creepy? Yeah, there's some stuff in this that he does that I think is supposed to be funny. Um, like there's a thing where he's cross in the motel and he sort of attacks a curtain. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think I think it's supposed to be funny, but... And I, and I don't think he's doing anything... I don't think he's doing anything bad. There's just something not very funny about John Travolta. Yeah. It's like... I don't know if you've seen Battlefield Earth. Um, <laughs> I've seen clips. He, he does this absurdly, like, camp over the top, ridiculous performance that I want to laugh at. Yeah. But actually, it's it when you watch it in like when you see just little clips of it, you go, "Ah, oh, that's hilarious." But when you actually watch it in situ, you just go, "No, it's just bad." And somehow it's not even funny while being bad. Mm. Mm. I, I don't I don't know why it is that, but yeah, John Travolta not funny in life. He might be hilarious. He might tell some great stories. Maybe. But, um... I think that he's probably the person you don't want to end up sitting next to at dinner. <laughs> Especially with that weird face-touching thing he has, which I thought was just a character choice in Face Off that was a bit weird. But have you seen him yeah. giving his... He gives an award to Adina Menzel and does the same thing um, to her face. It's really uh, weird. weird. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I thought, yeah, I thought it was just a weird character choice for Face Off, because, you know, Face Off. Face <laughs> Off. I'm going to take his I just thought it was face. a really sort of on the nose. Oh. Yeah, faces are happening. This whole thing is about touching faces and yeah. 
I might have misremembered oh, God. that. I know he's just a, he's <laughs> just a fucking weirdo. And I think and and I I was trying really hard throughout the film to remove my general thinking he's a weirdo and generally mm. thinking he's a creep from his portrayal of this character. And I'm like, sure. no, I think he's weird. I think he's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't believe that the intelligent, sort of sophisticated woman that he's married to would have married him. I don't, don't see how that would be. I just, I kind of don't get that. They seem doing incompatible. I mean, I think Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson is great in this, but I feel like... Yeah, she is. She doesn't have to put, she wouldn't have to put a right lot of effort into being good in this film because I don't think her character has particularly much to do that's interesting she does what she does very well but she's not got a right lot to do she's the character who is making a lot of the decisions she's i think the more she's the more ambitious of the two characters Mm -hmm. she's the more sort of serious of the two characters she's the one who actually is a sort of get shit done kind of person kind of power behind the throne feeling yeah sort of without being without being excessively lady Macbeth, Mm. although sort of arguably towards the end um, yeah, it's a little, little sort of uglier than that. But yeah, it, it. I mean, it's it's difficult to not immediately in your head make the comparison with the Clintons. Um, mm. I'm interested in the way that the character is received outside in the world of the film. Yeah, there's a there's I think a very telling moment when she's uh, she they they have an on they have an interview on the television, and uh, Henry's in a diner watching it, and there are some people sort of around just talking. It's really good moment, isn't it? It's a great moment. Yes, yeah, Susan is saying all the right things in the interview. She talks about how Jack's going to bust his butt to get stuff done. And one old lady goes, oh, bust his butt, the mouth on her. <laughs> um, and then the other one goes, he should just take her in hand. I'm like, ooh. And I think, I think the parallels that you see with how Hillary Clinton is sort of received and was received mm. in the outside world, I've never quite been able to get my head around. So Hillary Clinton was cheated on repeatedly by her husband um he repeatedly betrayed her and she stood by him the whole time and somehow she is the villain in the relationship while he sort of remains an adored yeah. figure on the political left in the states um i've never been able to get my head around that and there's a line uh, that Kathy Bates has towards the end of the movie. And she says, it's never the cheat who goes to hell. It's always the one who he cheated on. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a really, as you were saying, there are several really interesting stories that mm-hmm. are sort of going on, but they're all kind of going on in the background. And that is one of them. This story of a woman who is wronged and can't seem to do anything right as far as the outside world is concerned. Well, that like, he actually has put his wife in the most impossible position because she's damned if she leaves him, she's damned if she doesn't. And yeah, yeah, exactly like you were saying about Hillary Clinton, is like she can't, like there is nothing that she can possibly do. Whereas he is going to be treated with this kind of, oh, well, boys will be boys. Yeah. You know, there's an entire kind of misogyny in the political system (laughs) discussion to be had there. It's And also in that that interview scene where they're, they're all watching in the diner, I think there's something, there's a line in there about like, oh, she, I, I could do with her hair being a bit longer. Yes. And um, and when they ring up and uh, the character Daisy rings in, rings Adrian Lester and she's like, oh, um, how did it go down on your end? And he's like, oh, um, yeah, fine, but um, her hair could be longer. And it's like, you know, in the midst of all of this extraordinary kind of 
drama and personal shit flying and everything she's got to worry about how long her hair is like she's got to worry about it's just like it's extraordinary really i love that scene that is very telling i really enjoyed that i mean god give me a film that is about emma thompson playing a woman who is the wife of a senator who might end up being president being in the position Mm -hmm. of having to choose of what to do when this stuff comes out and that's a fantastic film in and of itself, but it's just like, ah, oh, blink and you miss it. It's like, it's so swept over. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think, I guess in that way, that a political campaign is, it feels Mm. very true to the nature of a presidential primary campaign Mm. in that you can't, stick with one thing for, for very long because the because the next thing always comes along and knocks it off course. So as soon as they've fixed one problem, oh, another problem pops up. Oh, somebody else has entered the race. Oh, this has happened. Oh, the candidates had a heart attack. It's always about what's going to knock you off message today. I'll tell you one of the things about the film I really enjoyed is the, the little gestures towards personal drama that mm-hmm. you you see it so like um there's just a scene where suddenly daisy and henry are in bed together one morning and it's like oh yes there they are at no point is it like i hear you're having an affair with the the other person and all of this stuff and similarly it's just like oh yeah no um kathy bates's character just has shacked up with the female age oh it's more than that she picks it she 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 picks her specifically she goes um i'll have that one <laughs> there's there, there's an undercurrent and i think i think it's probably one of the reasons why nobody bats an eye at jack's multiple infidelities is that there is a this sort of undercurrent of everybody in the room is shagging everybody else in the room the telephone conversation that jack has with henry uh, that then gets corrupted and manipulated um in the first of the scandals where it sounds like he's had phone sex with this hairdresser he's like you need to get yourself laid because you need to be functioning and it's kind of like they all treat sex as like it's like having a meal (laughs) it's like a thing that you have (laughs) to have to function and perform your very best in a very trying time it's just like their whole attitude to it is different to any other type of workplace you know um my understanding is that political campaigns are like that because these people are just together on the particularly in the states where they've got to be on the road from state to state to state and they're together 14 15 16 hours a day and they can't switch off so what do they do they go into their hotel and they fuck yeah yeah well i also i really enjoyed that thing about like the three of them so you've got billy bob thornton i can't remember the actress's name but daisy and henry all mm. um, and there's quite a lot of scenes of them having discussions where they're all just like lying in bed together and again there'd be a lovely um film in there about the three aides who all get close but it's kind of a triangle and two of them are fucking and one of them's got more experience but is a bit of a sex pest and it's like oh uh. but like you didn't i didn't quite get my hooks into enough of that storyline and it was sort of like oh okay billy bob thornton's out of the movie for a bit now oh but he's gonna come back oh but daisy's out oh but she's gonna come back and it's like oh okay you know which is great because i suppose in a way that is that must be what it's like it's like oh she's off the campaign you're never gonna see her again yeah, or She's in a different part of the country on the campaign. Oh, she's gone off to Ohio or somewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, do you know what? I, I think just like uh, across the film, I just didn't feel any of the lows or highs. It just felt like it mm. all just kind of went along on one note the whole way through. Even when yeah. something was happening that was very dramatic, it didn't 
feel very dramatic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't sweep you along with its narrative twists and turns, really. I found myself going, I'm sorry, what's happened now? There, there were two sh- sort of two shots, but they weren't shots. They were just like little bits where I was like, OK, <laughs> this was the bit mm. where he was like, I'm going to be arty now. So there's because um, <laughs> the rest of it, the rest of it, I felt was shot competently, but very like this is a political drama. <laughs> there yes. wasn't like, there was nothing fancy going on. No, there's no particular identity. No, except that weird neon green and red bit where um, Adrian Lester's looking out of a window at a Krispy Kreme diner mm. and we the camera kind of pans towards it. It like it, it starts to zoom in on it and it goes on for ages and ages and ages. The camera has taken the amount of time to cross the car park and go into the Krispy Kreme as it would have taken Adrian Lester to walk there, which is then sort of what has mm. happened. But it isn't a POV shot. It's like it's really weird and it looks kind of lurid and it looks like a scene from like the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's like <laughs> this weird shot. I mean, what did you make of that? It didn't really stand out to me in in quite the way that it stood out to you, to be honest with you. Um... I was like, we're suddenly in a different film here because all of the kind of production design up to that point has been functional. It's like, these are political people. It was it was realism. And suddenly yeah. it felt like we'd swayed over into a slightly sort of surrealist colour mm. palette and, and the camera was moving in a completely different way to how it had throughout the rest of the film. And I was like, he's mm. trying to tell us something, but I don't know yeah. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just sort of wondering now why why he might have made that choice. At that moment, did he just really love the look of the Krispy Kreme shop? It's quite possible that that's what it was. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there could be something more metaphorical going on about, I don't know, Henry's dreams and his imaginings of what, I, I don't know, what he wants. John Travolta has placed himself inside the American dream and uh, he's Henry is trying <laughs> to speak to him. Does it represent the pedestal that Henry has placed him upon? This kind of sugar-coated, glazed donut dream where there's a me- there's apple pie. Yeah, what's so what's what's he what, tra- is, what is he It's when it's after oh, Fuck no, when is it? It's because they're um his team and his wife are all in the hotel room and John Travolta's gone and sat himself down. Well, so every, every everybody else on the campaign is so sort of laser focused on the campaign and what's happening and and all the candidate wants to do is sit in that diner and talk to that man. I think that Henry is maybe, yeah, sort of considering that and, and sort of assessing why it is he thinks that this is the right man for the job and it's something to do with the way he connects to people i think i think the reason bill clinton gets away with as much as he does um is that he knows how to connect to people mm. in a way that that hillary just has never been able to do she doesn't have that magic touch yeah i don't know what the specific significance of that shot is but i think that's what's that's what's going on in in that time that's what we're looking at what adrian lester is looking at we're maybe supposed to be mm. having that sort of conversation in our heads going well i suppose i mean I'm, I'm kind of coming up with this interpretation as we're talking it's useful to try and kind of unpick because when i noticed that mm. shot i was like this means something but i couldn't work out what maybe it's something to do with like okay the first time you see it you are drawn towards a kind of a, his connection with people and you're like wow wonderful how lovely that he's sitting here in this kind of old-fashioned american 
sort of diner, talking to mm. your average Joe, eating apple fritters. Mm. How lovely. But actually, to me, just because of that, how weird that shot is and the colours and everything, to me, it's like artifice. And actually, yeah. it maybe is, maybe it's representative of the fact that, yeah, okay, John Travolta's character can create the appearance of connecting to people and he can make people feel that he is connected to them, but it's mm-hmm. all part of his act to get yeah. himself into the position of power. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing with the handshakes at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, when um, H- Howard, Howard mm. Ferguson, played by Paul Guilfoyle, who is another one of those faces who pops up and you go, ah, it's that guy. Yeah, the, f- the first thing he says is, I don't know how he does it. And that what he's talking about is how, with that right hand in a handshake, he can make somebody feel like they matter. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad that we've um, unpicked that. Thank you very much for <laughs> indulging me. <laughs> You sorted out some of my confusion. I feel like maybe it has intention and means something. It isn't just someone losing their mind briefly. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's, it's always possible that Mike Nichols just went, I really like that diner. Let's have a look at it. <laughs> let's talk about mm. Kathy Bates, shall we? Yes, let's. So she plays this character who, as often with Kathy Bates, her appearance in the film is like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. However... <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, she was the only actor nominated for an Academy Award. I think it was the script getting nominated. I don't think it was her. I think that's often the case. Yeah, it was the, I think it's the character being nominated, not necessarily her portrayal. Not that she does a terrible job, but I think she's a bit phoning it in, if I'm completely honest with you. Yeah, I think that's fair. We know that mm-hmm. Kathy Bates is, a, is a capable of extraordinary work. And I mm-hmm. just don't think this is up there with her best work. I think it's a, a fun character. I don't know that it really called for much more than she does, to be honest with you. I think it's. I think she meets the demands of the script. The, ca- the character is built up before, before we meet her. Yes. Which is something that I always quite enjoy. It's like somebody mentions her name and then somebody else is like, oh, who's that? And then you get a little bit of backstory about how she had, she was so uh, committed to a campaign in the past that she had a breakdown and just couldn't speak actual words um, and was just in and out of mental hospitals ever since and all that sort of stuff. And then she shows up and it's Kathy Bates. And I think there's sort of significance in the casting there as well, because it's something that it's really easy to overlook, to overlook when you think about the casting of somebody is what baggage they bring to a role mm. from what people have seen them do before. Mm-hmm. So what people had seen Kathy Bates do in very recent memory at this point was Annie Wilkes um, in Misery. <laughs> <laughs> She's built up as a loose cannon. And then it's Kathy Bates, fuck, shown up sort of dressed as a cowboy. She's like yeah. Clint Eastwood in um, uh, Fistful of Dollars or something. Yeah. Um, and she immediately calls Susan's best friend shit for brains yeah. and puts her right <laughs> in her place. <laughs> and that, that's a character who up until that point had been sort of quite uh, confident yeah. in the room and, and like a sort of fairly level Oh, she's head. never, she's go, never oh, seen again. Oh, this is a trusted confidant. Yeah. yeah. No, she, she, she shows up and, and it's, yeah, shit for brains. You fucked up last time. You're not going to fuck this one up as well. <laughs> I paraphrase. But yeah, so I, I, when, when I was making my notes, as I often do, I sort of try and group characters together on separate pages. And I've grouped Libby with um, Richard Jemmons the uh, Billy Bob Thornton character, mm. um, who we'll speak about in a minute. They, they're, they're the two wildest characters in the film, um, and they both have, let's say, sort of unorthodox introductions. Mm. So Kathy Bates shows up calling uh, the, the, the lady shit for brains and selecting an assistant to have an affair with. Um, <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton shows up, and it's it's not 
it's not in his first scene. It's I think his his second scene. He shows up and yeah. does some pretty serious sexual harassment right there in the middle of the room. In the middle of the room, gets his cock out in front of the same um, woman that Kathy Bates ends up shacking up with. You know. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, both of those characters are sought out by. Mm-hmm the Stantons, despite their problematic behaviour, because they're uh-huh. so good at the job. They are characters who are problematic but likeable, which is what Jack mm-hmm. Stanton is supposed to be. Except yeah. because yeah. he's John Travolta, he isn't likeable. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like we're going to get a lot of shit from John Travolta fans. Do you reckon, to our John Travolta fans in the world, please don't write to us. <laughs> <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> Can't find us on any social media platforms. From the, the Danny Zuko fan club. That Do you know? That was the character's name, wasn't it? Danny Zuko. Grease is not a good film. I'm sorry, oh, it isn't. Now you've really pissed him off. <laughs> Come for me. There'll be pink pitchforks on your lawn. <laughs> bit Peter Andre is the whatever the hell that character is turning up on yeah. my doorstep that's right I quite like Peter Andre <laughs> oh yeah Peter Andre uh, did it on stage didn't he he did do it on stage he played yeah. the character that's currently being played by Louise Redknapp yeah it's interesting Peter Andre and Louise Redknapp they are in my mind roughly equivalent couple, couple of pop hits uh, sort of sex icon pin up status to a certain generation of people both of them celebrity marriages and by all accounts just really lovely people yes i believe so yeah i'd be disappointed i'd be disappointed if peter andre wasn't a really nice man i had um when i was little i had a peter andre barbie Oh, really yeah i did my mum still has it his neck didn't move and his pants and his boots didn't come off Okay. It's a really, it's really weird. I think I must have really loved Mysterious Girl. I did. I really loved Mysterious Girl. Do you remember when he pretended to write a song in the jungle? No. What? <laughs> he was like, he was like, yeah. It was when it was when he did the uh, the I'm a Celebrity thing. Yeah. I mean, none, none of this is going to make the cut. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> it was when he did I'm a Celebrity, and he he was like, guys, I had this amazing dream. I just woke up. With this tune, it was like do 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 insania. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, and but then, then he came out then of the jungle released and it. it was released. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, exactly. It was released as a single. It was a minor hit. I can't remember where it got to in the charts. And then, like two months later, it turned out that it had already been written before he went into the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> and the British public felt betrayed. Of course, they did betrayed. <laughs> Yeah, of course, Peter Peter Andre, Prince of Hearts. Yeah, life was never the same again. Well, no, quite. But, you know, much like in Primary Colours, it's a real rite of passage to discover that your heroes are flawed. What an excellent segue back in. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> that means we've got to keep the bit about Peter Andre now. <laughs> Why was your episode about Brian McCullough so long? Well, there's a whole bit in the middle where we talked for quite a long time about Peter Andre. Yeah, there's the whole, it's the, yeah, it's, it's the Peter Andre cut for, for Patreon subscribers. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, is there any, is, are there any other characters or anything that you'd particularly like to talk about? Yeah, well, yeah I, I would like to uh, briefly mention Howard. I mentioned him sort of very, very, very briefly. He's the guy at the start who uh, gets Adrian Lester on for the job. He, he seems to be the guy who does the real dirty work. Like he he's the most sort of morally compromised of the mm. operatives. Um because he's the one who gets sent down to down to whichever state it is to strong arm the parent the father of this girl who's got pregnant 
possibly by the candidate. That is a hard scene to watch. Mm, because yeah. at the, you as well, that again feels like a moment where Adrian Lester should realise how fucking awful this is. Mm -hmm. That's the moment to jump shit, but he doesn't. You can see he's not comfortable with it at all. Well, he's, he's actually, he's not comfortable with it before he gets sent. Because he, he just go, you sending me just because I'm black. And uh, uh, John Travolta's like, no, actually, the guy picked you because he came to you and told you first. Yeah, but so. why did he pick him? Because he's black. He says it in the scene. He's like, I wanted mm -hmm. to say this because you're a black guy like me. I wanted to tell yeah. you. Um, so that's why it's kind of... And like Adrian Lester, I feel like, God, his naivety is very irritating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's there and you can see he's not he's not comfortable with it, but he's got a job to do. And it's, 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 if it had just been teased out a little bit more... Well, I tell you what, as soon as Teenager turned up right at the start, I was like, she's going to have been knocked up by the <laughs> presidential candidate. And then she was. Uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I wonder how much of that is because we know what a philanderer Bill Clinton is reported to be. So we sort of immediately go, there's going to be sex scandals here. But also, I just think because John Travolta's really creepy. I don't know if I've mentioned this already, Ed, but I just find <laughs> John Travolta a bit creepy. I think I was just like, Ah, what's the worst thing that he can possibly have done? Had sex with that teenager <laughs> who is the child of one of his dear friends. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It it didn't come as a surprise. Um, I really no. loved the way that that story was kind of brought to a conclusion, though, where it was like, mm. okay, you faked, you faked the blood, which means you at least had sex with her. That was a really interesting way to kind of bring that to a head. Because I was, I, I've had a bee in my bonnet a little bit about one of the previous scandals, the one with the tape, the uh, the doctored tape. I'm just like, that, that has been dealt with remarkably quickly and easily and painlessly. We all feel okay about this now, sort of. I mean, he definitely had sex with the hairdresser and everybody knows that and he got slapped for it. Emma Thompson, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of one of those slaps, my goodness no. me. <laughs> I know, oh. she's great. So again, another really good story would be mm. why finding out about affair, why finding out that that's one of many, why mm. finding out that it's one of many and some of them have had children. It's like mm -hmm. this kind of big expanding world and that's a really interesting story. But I was a little bit like, okay, are we seeing the first time she's ever considered that he might have been unfaithful? Or is this mm. one in a long line of things? Like what? I think it's I, that. I think I think she knows. She reacts very strongly about one particular one. She reacts very strongly about the hairdresser, and I think there's there's a, there's a deeper story there. And well, actually, going back to that speech at the end where Kathy Bates is talking about how uh, it's never the cheater who goes to hell, she talks about she starts that speech by saying that she's not even mad that you slept with your 17-year-old babysitter, because it's just sort of baked in at this mm. point. But she does get properly mad about uh, about the hairdresser. And I wonder if it's because... I mean, I, I've not paid for a haircut in, ooh, uh, about 12 years. So I don't know what sort of relationship people have with their hairdressers. I believe it can be quite an intimate one. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that if you, are in, if you are a senator's wife, I think that maybe you have a good hairdresser. I would think so. And I, saw, I, don't know, I don't know if they have argued about it in the past and he has point blank to her face said, 
no, I didn't have sex with her. Whereas in the past, with, with every other one, she's just she's not asked him because she sort of just knows that it's true. She's not asked him about it. But because of whatever her relationship is with her hairdresser, she has confronted him about that one. And he has lied point blank to her face rather than sort of that don't ask, don't tell kind of thing and being able to just compartmentalise it. Is there anything um, as well in there being like your indiscretions before you decided to run for office? Okay, but... How dare you run for office and continue to be indiscreet? Yeah. It's like that thing about like, okay, how dare you jeopardise our chances by continuing behaviour? Like stuff that happened years ago, mm-hmm. we can deal with that. But stuff that happens now, you're famous now. And somebody coming forward with a story currently about something current that's happened is very different from someone from your past coming out of the woodwork, you know? Again, would have been really interesting to see some of those scenes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel a little bit like I just keep describing a film I would prefer to have watched than Primary Colours. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if this is why it, it feels like a play to you, because... So much of the story happens off stage as it was. So much is subtextual uh, in in a way that you you don't often get in films. You almost never get in films that are made in the last 15, Mm. 20 years. I think it's very difficult to pin down what sort of time frame this is supposed to have taken place over. And it's Mm. like, okay, yeah, it's something that takes place over years or whatever yeah people come and go do you mean the 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 film itself or the film itself like because i mean i don't i don't know anything about i don't really know anything about american politics so is this taking place over six months did it take place over a year because am i right to think that he's trying to be elected as the democratic candidate in the election that's 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 the whole that's the whole that's the whole span of time yeah and because at the, at the very end, the, at the very end, it's the inauguration ball. So he's won the presidency, but we don't see any of that. We no. only see de- the Democratic. Okay. So to give you a rough idea. So I'm, I'm looking now at the Democratic presidential primary from 1992, which ran from February the 10th to June the 9th. Yeah. So February the 10th was when the first votes were cast. So mm-hmm. uh, what's that? February to June is that's uh, five months, isn't it? So. A five-month process from the first vote to the nomination being uh, being sealed, and I would think it would probably be two or three months before that that uh, the film starts. I would imagine, um, because there's a whole obviously a whole campaign leading up to those first votes. The the, this, the span of the film, sort of excluding that last scene, which yeah, is at the inauguration ball, sort of takes place in about eight or nine months. But yeah, you see, you had to explain that to me. Ed. I didn't get that from the film. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's sort of one of those one of those times when the film sort of assumes a base level of knowledge. I mean, it's it's primary audience would have been a sort of politically literate American audience. So it it's sort of target audience would be people who know this stuff already know the process if you sort of start it out by explaining the primary process and how that works, then you're going to lose a lot of people. (laughs) So you see, okay, I think maybe this is my problem. So, okay. If we take that the audience is politics literate and the insight into the process isn't the point of the film, then it's got to be about the people, which the film isn't. It's about the process. Mm. However, if you are ignorant of these things and part of the appeal of the film is the insight into the process, you don't get sure. enough of that either because I, st- I came away from it not knowing a fucking thing about American politics. 
<laughs> so Fair. I think that's kind of where my problem is. I'm a little bit like, okay, if I if I come at this from the point of view of wanting a drama, I didn't mm-hmm. really get a drama. Yeah. If I come at it from the point of view of wanting some interesting insight, mm-hmm. I didn't get any of that. So what's the, sure. what am I here for? I um I don't know. I think it's probably easier to get into the characters and the drama of it if you understand what the hell's going on already. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you need both. You maybe you need you need the background knowledge to be able to invest properly. Possibly, maybe. to an extent. We've not talked about Larry Hagman. Oh, is that the um, Jr. from Dallas? Yes, Jr. from Dallas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when uh, Jack Stanton's main rival um, has a heart attack and goes into a coma and drops out of the race. Uh, his longtime friend, governor or former governor, uh, Fred Picker. Picker. What a wonderful character name. Fred I was, Picker. I was wondering really if good. Fred Picker belonged in the Spice of Love Joy Hall of Fame. We'll perhaps discuss shortly. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, he, he shows up and is a completely different kind of politician. And from him, I think you start to see Adrian Lester's character starts to sort of, he, he watches him and thinks, Oh, this is this is how politics could be done because he shows up and he is a fundamentally decent person. He's not interested in doing any of the attacks and any of that sort of chicanery. He genuinely wants a contest of ideas. And I think I think in Henry's sort of evolution in his journey, I think that's actually a really quite important moment because um, he sees that and that is what sort of I guess pushes him even closer to uh, to Libby and her sort of idealized politics because it, it turns out that that she had been a big fan of picker in the 70s when he when he was governor and when he was sort of active in politics yeah but then it, it turns out that he's got sort of secrets of his own a dark past of his own he was involved in uh, cocaine and had an affair with a young man in uh, is it cuba or somewhere I yeah can't, or i think Chile, so. i can't remember now and that is what leads libby into this test and I think we sort of need to talk about the test a little bit it's quite important she and Henry go to the Stantons with this information that they've found about their rival their new rival Picker and she gives it to them wanting to see what they will do and suffice to say they fail the test quite spectacularly because yeah. they their immediate thought is to leak it and Libby gives them a chance to sort of change their mind and not do that not do that and then she gives him an ultimatum. She says that she's going to leak leak an attack on them, leak information about the uh, the faked blood test and derail their career. And it's interesting because in doing that, she would be derailing the presidency for the Democrats for another election cycle. So I can you yeah. can absolutely see what the Stanton's argument is outside the fact that it's, oh, well, we want it for us. It's, yeah. we want it. Because we're the ones who can win. Because the Republicans will find out this information about Picker down the line and and fuck him out of the race. And then none of that good stuff that you want to do will be done. So you can see what the argument is there. And that is where Henry's torn. He, he leaves and he gets in the car with with Libby. And then, yeah, the, uh, he leaves, goes into his apartment and she drives off. Not very far, though. She sort of drives... About 30 feet away, parks up and then sometime later shoots herself because the next thing you know, he's being woken up by sirens. I did, the geography of all of that didn't really make any yeah. sense to me at all. It doesn't. It didn't really make any sense to me either because it's a, it's a climactic moment mm-hmm. and it does instigate what is actually. I mean, in a way, it's kind of I suppose meant to be the beginning of a sort of redemption for Stanton as a character mm-hmm. because 
they were sitting there thinking, okay, you've presented us with an ultimatum and we've got two choices. Either we don't leak the information at all and we keep our, we keep it to ourselves or we leak it to the press mm. and we drag this rel- this good man through an absolutely hellish situation. And actually there is a medium thing, which is they reveal to him that they know and allow him to back out gracefully. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm doing it for Libby. Uh, yeah, he, say, he says he's doing it for Libby, but but it's still the wrong thing, which is interesting. It is really interesting because actually the whole way through the film, Stanton has had this approach about like, I'm not going to sling shit mm-hmm. about. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do dirty politics. I'm not going to do a smear campaign. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do any of that shit, which is really interesting because to me that always felt quite hollow, but he does kind of stick to that. Again, I think it's an issue with the casting. I don't know if mm-hmm. I've mentioned Ed, but I find uh, John Travolta. Oh, do you find him creepy? Yeah, a bit creepy, oh. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I think that that's an issue. I think that we are supposed to take from it that this politician is, is unlike the others because he wants to play a kind of fair game. Mm. And then there's a moment where he's like, fine, I'll do yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's, it's when his other opponent, the one who has the heart attack, goes negative and starts putting out the attack mm-hmm. ads. And he watches one and he just goes, I want to fucking kill him. And the way he chooses to fucking kill him is to go to an old folks' home and say he's going to take away your benefits. Yeah, but then <laughs> it's quite kind but of. Then, but, then, but then he 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 does kill him because what 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 supposedly or what sort of theoretically gives him the heart attack is this exchange they have over the phone yeah. when Stanton's yeah, yeah. on the radio with the uh, Rob Reiner playing the radio host. Yeah, I, that sort of final confrontation between Stanton and, and Henry, where Henry tries to resign, mm-hmm. it's a really weird one because I don't know what it's meant to be. Is it meant to be Henry kind of finally going over to the dark side? That's kind of how it felt to me. Which, which you know when it? they're walking away from they're walking away from Picker's house. Oh yeah. And they've just revealed that thing. And then Henry's like, I'm resigning. Mm-hmm. And they have a confrontation on the drive where John Travolta basically makes his case for Henry to stay on the team. Mm-hmm. And then it's left hanging with a like, will he, won't mm-hmm. he? And then the next thing you see is the inauguration ball. Yeah. And he's shaking the hands of the team who got him there. And the last hand he shakes is Henry's, yeah. which I think implies that Henry did stay on the team. Well, I read that moment slightly different. I mean, maybe... Ooh, yeah, no. Just because, me. so it it harks back obviously um, to the very start of the film with the handshakes and oh. So the, the the code for the handshake. So in the monologue, we don't know what it is he does with the right hand to make it work, but the thing that he does with the left hand, um, if he puts it on your elbow or your bicep, he's interested in you and he's honoured to meet you. If he yeah. puts his hand on your shoulder, okay. it's not as intimate. Um, he'll share a laugh or a secret, a light secret. Not a real one, but it's flattering. And two hands, he doesn't know you well, but wants to share something emotional with you. Which one does he use on Henry? He uses two hands. It's a two-handed handshake. So it's, I don't know you very well. There's removal. Okay. Yeah, they're not in the same place anymore. That's really interesting. Did you notice that first watch through? Yeah, uh, because when Uh... the handshakes were happening at the start, I was like, "Mm, this is going to come up. (laughs) Right. This is going to come up. Okay, fair dues, fair dues. I totally understand. I mean, I definitely think that it's ambiguous. It is, it is. Although I actually also think that if he had been on the campaign, he probably would have been first to have his hand shook. So that makes a lot of sense, actually. And that's interesting. You totally changed my opinion of the end there. Ha, how interesting. Yeah, you have totally changed my opinion. 
that it hasn't changed my opinion of the no, film. But <laughs> but I, 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 I understand that reading and yeah. I, I agree with you now that you've explained it to me definitely. No, I think I, I yeah, I just think I think having seen that moment and sort of put two and two together meant that when I went in for my second watch, the the story of Henry was a lot clearer to me the second mm-hmm. time through than it had been the first time through. Yeah, it sort of made more sense to me what I was watching rather than that first mm-hmm. time being like, why is he working for this dick? One thing I did want to bring up, it's actually disputed who wrote You Are My Sunshine. There's that whole scene where they're all singing You Are My Sunshine and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jack's like, this was written by a Southern governor. Um, and again, it's just another example of he knows what to say to bring people in. It made me feel like that should have been a moment about Henry seeing through his bullshit because Henry is sitting on his own at the end of a long table watching this sort of gang of people come together to sing You Are My Sunshine in a beautiful harmony around a man who is crying. And you're like, surely he sees that this is all bullshit. It's like a cult. (laughs) It's like a cult. It's like a cult. Maybe that's what being a um, uh, being interested in politics actually makes yeah. you. If you're really emphatic mm. about a particular politician, maybe it is a bit cozy. Yeah. But he he does he does see that it's bullshit. He does see that it's bullshit because he says um, he says I'm curious. I was always curious about what it would be like to work for someone who actually cared. Um, and then he talks about uh, JFK and he says, well, perhaps Kennedy was bullshit too, but people believed it. I want to believe it. I want to be part mm. of something that's history, and that's what mm. that's what Henry's doing there. He's kind of, I suppose, in that respect, yeah, maybe the whole film is him just desperately trying to convince him how, convince himself to have faith in this guy. Yeah. But maybe he just doesn't have it. It's a man searching for faith who doesn't find it. I think he does find it. I think I think he I think he finds it I think he finds it in Libby. I think I think he does mm. go off to do something else. And yeah, okay. but he's you know, he's done enough and he's earned enough goodwill to be invited to the inauguration ball. One of the reasons he's been picked to be on the campaign in the first place is because of his ancestry because he's yeah, the grandson yeah. of a civil rights civil rights leader so apart from anything else he's there at that inaugural ball because well big be, because represent. he's black he's there to represent um and i think as the movie mm. goes on he's less and less comfortable with with being that figurehead he wants to be there for his merit not yeah. for kind of tokenism and it's interesting because you know at the beginning when he's having the debate with his partner about jumping ship the um person he's working for is a black governor and she's like i can't believe you ditch him and it's like well he's like well i shouldn't just be with him because he's the only black guy running i should be with him for his politics and then it's like this kind of it's like he hasn't found the person who matches up with his ideals yet but maybe that's because he doesn't know what his ideals are possibly yeah yeah and i think he he comes some way towards finding that by the end of the movie well he he says he doesn't like the guy that he's working for he doesn't like working for him because he because he says that about that's why there are so many um black people leading the country Mm. he's like yeah also he can't win he won't win because that's Mm. not the system that we work in so he's got yeah really sort of quite jaded view of things at the start yeah yeah um i love sorry just Mm. on the subject of not knowing what he stands for i really enjoyed the televised debate Mm -hmm. Where um, that uh, the other one of the other governors says to Stanton, like, P- "What policies don't you agree with?" <laughs> and there's this thing about like, yeah, he's just kind of hitching his wagon to whatever's going to be the most popular. Like, he doesn't have any actual principles of his yeah. own. But he wins the debate by being sort of smooth talker and being able to come back. Yeah, yeah. What do you? Th- I mean, would you recommend this film to people? You know, it's it's on it's on iPlayer indefinitely, so it's always going to be there for people to just click on and watch. I yeah, I I would to certain people. Yeah, I I, I would to anybody who already is 
quite into particularly American politics because um, I, I do think it helps if you understand what the primary process is, the way that it, it works from state to state to state, each state voting sort of in isolation. Sometimes loads of states vote at the same time. It's it's a really sort of convoluted process. And I think and there, there are different rules in from state to state as well. It's such a convoluted and complicated process that if you don't already have a bit of knowledge about how that works, then I think it could be quite hard to get into. But I think for somebody who does already have that knowledge, I think I probably would recommend it. Yeah, because because I think it's I think it's an intelligent film. I think it's a, a I think it's a thoughtful film that asks interesting questions and makes you ask interesting questions of yourself. Oh, uh, what, what about you? Would you, would you recommend it to anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I think that if you're looking for the things that you've just described, there are better films out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a it's a mixed bag. It's um it's a film that just isn't the sum of its parts. I don't think it's well directed interesting it is sort of neither here nor there it's a bit wishy-washy and vague Mm -hmm. it it can't pick what story it wants to tell out of all the different stories um i don't think it knows who its audience is and i i wasn't surprised when i found out that it was a kind of two people who already loved working together settled on a piece of material to work on Mm. together and i just kind of feel like why (laughs) (laughs) so yeah but you know i don't i'm not baffled by the idea that you would recommend Mm. it do you know what i mean i'm like fair dues um it's not like i'm trying to now think of an example where if you came back and were like oh my god i'd definitely recommend this to people i'd be like sorry like what what have you done with ed So we're going to talk now about the next film that we've chosen. Say we, Ed has chosen. Disclaimer, because of our recording schedule, we had to cheat this a little bit. Um, And Ed sent me a still from the next film to see if I could guess what it would be so that we'd have enough time to watch it. So rather than pretend that I don't already know, we're going to talk a little bit about, kind of as we do, I'm going to say what I would have picked myself and what I think Ed would have picked. Cool. Let's play. <laughs> well, do you know what I would have picked? It's really, really difficult, but I I think I probably would have just done something quite basic and follow an actor. Mm-hmm. Actually, I tell you what I would have done. I'd have followed the actress who plays Daisy, whose name is Maura. Tierney. Um, and we would have watched Primal Fear Ooh. because I love it so much. Have you seen uh, it? Yeah, it's uh, Ed Norton, isn't it, as well? It's Ed Norton, Richard Gere, Marty from Fraser. Yes, of course. It's got loads of good people in it. It's a fantastic film. I remember I watched it originally because our friend, our lo- beloved friend, mutual friend Lou Broadbent told me that I um, that I should watch it and I'd really enjoy it. And we got all the way through and I was like, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. And I was about to nip to the loo right at the end and she was like, I think maybe you should stay in the room. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. <laughs> Why would you leave just before the end? What is wrong with you? Because <laughs> I thought it had wrapped up. I thought it was wrapping up, and I was desperate. But yeah, no, it's one of my favourite films. I love, I love. Oh God, Laura Linney. Oh yeah, it's quite a main part in it. So yeah, what I thought you might have mm-hmm. done was go down. I thought you would have done another kind of American political. Mm-hmm. So I did wonder about the Ides of March. I did also kind of wonder about. Um, I fucking love Frost Nixon. Oh right. But that's that's more of a sort of journalism film mm. than a. Um, I also wondered if you might have gone now. One of my favourite TV limited series is State of Play. Okay, 
I don't know if you've seen it, which is um, it's John Sim as a journalist mm-hmm. and they remade it as a, an American film with Russell Crowe um, oh. playing the journalist and Ben Affleck plays a politician. The film's all right, but the series is fucking great. Mm. I absolutely cannot recommend highly enough. Go and watch State of Play with John Sim. Okay. And Bill Nye plays the editor of the newspaper and it's got a very young James McAvoy mm in it as a as a journalist and it's just fantastic but yeah the and the um the american remake it's russell crowe helen mirren plays the bill nye part and it's um rachel mcadams is the other journalist and that it's just great it's it's really good fun it's quite a good kind of just political Mm. thrillery windy windy so i wondered if you might have gone for a similarly kind of american politics Mm. procedural thriller but you've i know i've not i know you haven't it did enter my mind to go in that direction. Mm. What might you have picked if you had gone in that if direction? If I had, I would have I would have picked, I think, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington was mm. the first one that sort of popped into my mind and I was like, ah, oh, that would be a fun choice. But I didn't pick that because it sort of fo- focuses on a different aspect of the American political system. I, I, if, if I was going to go that way, I, w- I would want to sort of focus on something more campaign related or at least related to the president. Um, one of my other thoughts was because... Uh, I simply, I, I just, I love Billy Bob Thornton. I thought mm-hmm. about maybe watching Sling Blade. I've not seen Neither that. have I, and I'd like to. Uh, he, I think he won an Oscar for it uh, in 1990 something. Won an Oscar in 1996 for Sling Blade um, for best writing. Screenplay based on material previously produced or published. But that's not the direction I've gone. Partly because actually Sling Blade is really difficult to uh, to track down, find. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. But actually, the reason I went with what I went with is that I wanted to I wanted to get out of the 90s I wanted to get mm-hmm. back before either of us were born and I thought the best way of doing that actually would be to go for a, a genuine classic bit of cinema so we're going to Mike Nichols second feature the one that won in the Oscar uh, we're watching The Graduate yes of course we are. <laughs> so keen I have seen it before but I'm really looking forward to watching it again yay I think I possibly was a bit young when I watched it. Possibly. Time. I mean, it's arguable that it's actually quite a good one for a young person to watch. I think I was probably about 20, maybe 23, 24 when I first saw it. So just the right mm. age uh, to sort Perfect of relate to, yeah, yeah. Uh, to Benjamin. I can't wait to find out what you make of it and what you think of it. Yeah, I know. Um, do you know, I kind of don't know. <laughs> because I, th- I think when I say I was too young, I think I was like 15 or something. Sure. And I think I was just a bit like, this is a bit slow. But I remember some some of it made me really uncomfortable. So yeah, I'm mad keen. Really looking forward to it. Where can I watch it, please? Uh, it can be found on ITVX Premium. I thought it was, initially I thought it was just on ITVX and I was like, great. No, ITVX has a premium level. Uh, so it's on that uh, it's also available on the Studio Canal channel on Amazon, um, and it's available to rent uh, from all of the places that we would usually do such a thing. So Amazon, Apple, Rakuten, I think, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. YouTube, oh, maybe? I would think so, yeah. YouTube. So yeah, anyone who wants to join us in watching The Graduate, please do. Yeah, and um, please do write in to let us know what you would have chosen following on from Primary Colours and um, let us know what you thought of Primary Colours if you watched along with us. Uh, Let us know if you, like me, think that John Travolta is creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler, he is creepy. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, it's true. He's a creepy Scientology man. (laughs) 
And if you don't agree, you're, you are wrong and you need to just take a long, hard look. You at need yourself. to take a long, hard look at John Travolta. That's what you need to do. <laughs> None of this is to say that I don't enjoy John Travolta's work in several other films. Yes. No, absolutely. John Travolta's presence in a film would never put me off. No, not inherently. It's just... Like, pop fiction, I love. No. Um, I Face off, you know, marvellous. I'd completely forgotten that he was in Pulp Fiction. Oh, really? For the whole of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally forgot about that. Think he's fantastic in Pulp Fiction, but he is yeah, creepy. He's creepy. He's supposed to be. He's supposed to be kind of a bit creepy and sleazy. And off his tits yeah. the whole time. So it all it all makes sense. Yeah. Oh God, that's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the Travolta songs. Yes, the whole thing. That, the John that reinvented his career. Travolta songs. Travolta-sons, yeah. <laughs> uh, so all that remains is to say thank you ever so much for listening to this week's episode of The Unbreakable Movie Chain. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact us at moviechain@outlook.com, and we're also on all of the social medias, so Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we'll see you next week for The Graduate. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Jesus loves you more than you know. <laughs> leave it in, leave it in. <laughs> <laughs>